we have to be really careful about how we're exposing our puppies to different stimuli in their world because they don't come to us as a blank slate. That's a very common misconception that if you adopt a puppy and you work hard to socialize them through that period, you can have whatever dog you want to have. We love dogs, but man, is it hard work sorting through all the misconceptions and misunderstandings that we have about them. It is difficult to know where to turn to for good advice. Hi, I'm Renee Rhodes, the virtual dog training and behavior specialist behind rplusdogs.com. On this show, I talk to other dog professionals and guardians to help you understand your dog better, to do better for them. Think of it as couples counseling, for one. If you are looking to learn more about how to advocate, empower, and help your dog live the best life possible, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Dog Logical. Hi, guys, and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Bree Blakeman from Noble Wolf Dog Training. Hi, Bree. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about our conversation today. Um, did you want to take a moment and just introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So as Renee said, I am Bree Blakeman. I'm based in Portland, Oregon, and I'm the owner and founder of Noble Wolf Dog Training. I am a certified professional dog trainer. And Noble Wolf Dog Training aims to as a company to strengthen the human-animal bond. And I really like to think of that as bridging the gap between the verbal-oriented human, us, <laughs> and the non-verbal canine. So a huge focus of what we do is helping our clients decode learning theory and behavior sciences to help establish clear lines of communication so that we can start having meaningful conversations and dialogue with our dogs. So grew up training standard poodles and I also had rats and parrots. And as a kid, I actually trained Western trail horses to do dressage and hunter jumper. So I've been a professional dog trainer now for, I guess, six years. And that all started at the Oregon Humane Society. So I was the volunteer there. And then I was hired in the training behavior department full time. And I found my niche working with reactive, fearful dogs. So that's, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. So is that your, do you have a specialty area or an area of interest? Is that, would that be classified as yours? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, you know, I like to classify what I do as behavior modification. So um, behavior consulting and modification for dogs who are fearful, reactive, aggressive, you know, they're all labels, but it helps to communicate with our clients what, you know, what's going on there. Um, and that is, yeah, my niche, I guess. 
<laughs> so today we were going to have a conversation about fearful puppies. I think it's important when we're talking about behavior, like you were saying, they are labels, but at the end of the day, it's nice to give a clear kind of definition. So how would you classify a fearful puppy from one that's maybe just normal puppy behavior, maybe a little bit timid? Sure. So I think the, the biggest difference in, in determining, you know, what, what makes a fearful puppy fearful and what is the difference between that and a puppy who maybe is just reacting to the environment. I guess a fearful puppy would be easily startled, but not even necessarily by anything that's particularly obvious. So a normal reaction to say, I don't know, a, a trash can falling over would be to jump away, to startle, but the recovery time would be relatively quick. Some investigation at a distance even, maybe with some treats should help that puppy recover really quickly, but a, a really kind of out of the box puppy that is suffering from an abnormal level of anxiety may not recover from that incident very quickly, if at all. And they may actually exhibit that startle response in the area in which that occurred, that event occurred days or even months later. So really, understanding our dog's body language is going to be a key component in determining whether or not this puppy is experiencing a normal or abnormal fear reaction. So you're looking at that longevity, how quickly yeah. they recover from that, that one event. Absolutely. Because right? it's sometimes yes. puppies, everything can be a little bit overwhelming, especially, you know, puppies first outing or anything like that. And that I think brings us onto a very hot topic of socialization or the sensitive period. Um, when it comes to puppies in that time, you know, kind of fresh in the home, eight weeks old, how do you start? How do you advise your clients to, to look at that period of time when it comes to all of those stimuli, like the, the trash can and things just that normally happen in the house? Absolutely. So that critical socialization period is so crucial. And typically when we're adopting a young puppy, we should be bringing them home earlier than eight weeks of age, which does land us right within that socialization gap. So that is from eight to 12 weeks, it starts to close around 12 weeks, but we wanna continue approaching socialization very intently through up to, I would say up to 20 weeks. Obviously continuing that through adolescence is important, but that true socialization gap we like to describe as being from eight to 16 weeks, okay? We'll just call it that. Um, and what's so important about this time is that, you know, these puppies are in their most vulnerable state, but they're also little information sponges. So they're in this very impressionable state where they are actively seeking information about the world and the environment that will form them as adult dogs. So what that means is it is our job during this critical socialization period to help them learn what in the world is safe, neutral, 
or unsafe. And because our dogs don't speak our language, again, we do have to become really innately aware of what they are trying to communicate because the huge piece of the puzzle with so socialization done well is actually facilitating new experiences and exposure to novel stimuli in such a way that the dog is having a positive or neutral experience. And because they don't speak our language, we can't sit down and talk to them and ask them how they're feeling about the moment. So we have to be really careful about how we're exposing our puppies to different stimuli in their world because they don't come to us as a blank slate. That's a very common misconception that if you adopt a puppy and you work hard to socialize them through that period, you can have whatever dog you want to have. Um, but there's also genetics and breed traits at play within all of this. So if we're trying to facilitate a positive experience, there are some really important key components that we want to hit. So making sure that we're not flooding our puppy is, is the biggest piece of that. So the old way of socializing would be to say, take your puppy and go, I really want my puppy to like dogs. So I'm going to plop them in the middle of a dog park so that they're quote unquote, well socialized. And I think for the most part, our clients and our dog guardians of the world are, are getting a lot more good information than bad information if they're seeking out information about this at all. But what we're not uh, necessarily paying attention to, in my opinion, still is quality over quantity, because there's still a lot of really, really great dog trainers and organizations out there who will definitely educate folks on not flooding the puppy, right? But they will also at the same time say your puppy needs to meet a hundred different dogs in a in 30 days or a hundred different, what is it? It's like a hundred different people in a hundred days. Um, and that's hugely problematic because people will take that very literally and they'll they're they're just following instructions. Okay, I need to get my puppy to meet at least two dogs a day. So they're going around and seeking out just any dog for your puppy to interact with or for their puppy to interact with and they're checking the box. But if it's not a quality interaction, it doesn't matter how many times your dog meets other dogs, all it takes is one bad experience to undo all of the positive ones. All it takes is one traumatic event to shape your puppy into one that is fearful of certain things. So quality over quantity, right? So we, we don't want to flood. <laughs> um, we want quality over quantity. Um, and how, how do we achieve the quality over quantity? Again, that is first educating ourselves on dog body language. Because even if you're introducing your puppy and uh, to a novel stimulus and you are pairing that stimulus with treats, which is what we should be doing, right? I should mention that 
anytime your puppy is experiencing something for the first time, we should be pairing it with something we know they absolutely love, right? And oftentimes the easiest thing is going to be treats or food. Um, for some puppies, it can also be play. So, so that goes without question, novel stimuli paired with food. But if we don't know the body language deeply, right, then we're not going to necessarily be appropriately gauging how they're feeling in that moment. So we'll get into all of that more, I'm sure, in a moment here. But all of that aside, so we've got our you know, not flooding quality over quantity, recognizing our dog's body language. Um, that's what, what we need, you know, our little toolbox for success, for facilitating positive interactions. But the things in which we should socialize our puppies to include novel surfaces, novel sounds, novel people, novel environments, um, of course, positive interactions with dogs. And if you have any, a unique living situation, say you live in a high rise, your puppy should know how to ride the elevator safely, comfortably. Um, if you have chickens, you should be socializing and preparing your puppy for learning how to coexist or experience those chickens without practicing unwanted behaviors, right? So a lot of folks, the other misconception is that socialization is just the introduction of your puppy to other dogs. And if you took them to puppy socials, they should be good to go. Um, and I, I think that is something that needs, that I would love to see clients start to grasp a little bit more or just dog guardians in general, is that socialization is, is the exposure to all sorts of novel stimuli in a way in which that facilitates a positive or at least neutral emotional experience for our puppy. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, no. And I think, you know, when I, something I try to educate clients on is exactly what you've said, where it is the, the quality over the quantity, because that tick box mentality, you know, that's going to be like, right, met a bus, like, you know, met a dog, met a person in a hat. But yeah. was that a positive experience? Because if it wasn't, then you might as well not even bothered. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm all for getting clients specific tasks, right? Mm. Because I think having a puppy is extremely overwhelming. Um, in providing some kind of template can be helpful for certain learn like learners, but with the caveat of them fully deeply understanding the principles of classical conditioning, whether they know that's what it's called or not, right? And then the dog dog's body language, how to understand a puppy's threshold, right? and what a, a stress reaction might look like, and then what to do when they see that, right? When they see, oh, panting means my puppy might be uncomfortable. So I can recognize that, but now what do I do, right? Um, so what would so you say- That's also, something I'm- 
What would you say yeah. are some other signs of body language that is indicating possible stress? Yes. Yeah, we should definitely dive into that. Um, so yawning is one outside of the context of a puppy that's just waking up. Panting is one. Licking the lips. Pupils really wide and dilated. And then sometimes you'll get what we call like a half moon eye or a whale eye. That's where you can really see the whites of the eyes. So your puppy's eyes are kind of bulging. The spatulate tongue. So that's when the dog is panting, but the tongue is so far out of the mouth that it's kind of making a spoon shape on the end. And even if it's not doing that, uh, uh, another classic sig signature of a stress pant is being able to see really far back at the molars. And then you get these little smile lines around the corners of the mouth. So sometimes I call it clown face because it looks like the puppy is like got this huge creepy smile, but it's actually a pretty stressed dog. Um, another one is a full body shake off. The obvious signs that a lot of people are going to recognize are like, um, crouching down, so trying to make oneself small, tucking the tail. Um, but one that a lot of people don't um, recognize as potentially fear is like barking and lunging. So little puppies will behave in what a lot of people would call aggressively. So showing teeth, lunging towards something, barking, snarling, snapping, all of that. Um, and if they're, they're uncomfortable, that's typically, typically going to be a pattern of lunging forward, jumping in and running away. So um, jumping forward and immediately jumping away is, is one that um, I see a lot at, at puppy socials with dogs who need more space than they currently have. Um, what are some other uncommon ones? Drooling, you can get drooling, sweaty paws, full body shake off if I didn't say that. And then a wagging tail, of course, you know, is not always a happy dog. Um, a tail that's straight up and wagging fast, we call it flagging. That can also be a conflicted dog. So the key with all of this is to know that a lot of these things happen and a lot of dogs will exhibit these things also outside of the context of being stressed. So if you're not sure, err on the side of caution and go, mm, I've heard this could be stress. I don't know. I can't tell. So I'm going to err on the side of caution and give my puppy more space from this situation. Um, but what I like to tell people is, yes, your puppy just licked their lips, but are they also, did they also yawn after? Are they trying to move away? Are they trying to flee? Are you seeing multiple stress signals piled together? If so, that that's usually very, that's the easiest way to determine whether or not your dog is actually stressed because like puppies, puppies pant a lot, right? They get overstimulated very easily. Um, so just because your puppy is panting doesn't necessarily mean that they are having a stressful experience, but, you know, we could have a whole other podcast around overstimulated puppies and why we might not want that either. But um, <laughs> I do think it can, it can get a little, um, 
when when people first start diving into body language, we get a little I don't want to say paranoid because I don't that's has negative connotation. Proactive. But, um yeah, pro, like over like very sensitized, I guess, to every little lip lick that their puppy does. So there is a there is a balance in all of this. And you all I'm trying to say is for my dear owners who want to do the very best by their puppy, do, don't panic. <laughs> the fact that you know these things probably means you're doing a better job than 90% of dog guardians out there. So um <laughs> So those are Very some of the accurate percentage you know, as well. I would, yeah, I would educate some of my clients on on those things there. Yeah, I always tell people like never. If somebody messages me about their puppy and they say, "Oh, the puppy has been doing this," you know, I don't. Sorry to bother you. You know, I just want to know. Skip the sorry to bother you because I'm so glad that at least you're paying attention, you know, because a lot of people, um, you'll have to say that, especially in like an in-person situation or a group situation, you have to have that talk where it's like, okay, so I've noticed, you know, some behaviors, this was happening or whatever, versus someone coming over and saying, oh, you know, my puppy was doing this is, you know, I think that might be that they're not comfortable. Um, and I was thinking that I would maybe like to do this or should I do this? And you're like, yep, perfect. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's really what it's about. It's about good socialization. It's about paying attention, right? Actively involving yourself in your dog's learning and, you know, to, quote Susan Friedman behaviors information right so if behavior is information let's go ahead and get curious let's start to get curious about our behavior and again I don't like to alienate my clients so my first first time dog guardians we may play around with some joke anthropomorphism right like oh, your puppy's being so silly, right? What a goofy guy, right? Um, because I think that helps soften. If I hit them with a bunch of signs and I'm like, well, that doesn't actually mean that your puppy's actually rolling on their back because they don't like their harness, you know? <laughs> it it kind of shuts them down. So hitting them with where they're at, meeting them, matching them rather where they're at, and then also going, oh, isn't that curious? What do you think that means, right? Behaviorist information, your puppy's trying to communicate to us. What do you think that means? Helping them feel excited about the possibility of being in dialogue with their dogs and also in dialogue with me so that when they are seeing those things, they, they can email me and feel comfortable emailing me and they know that if they say something like my dog's being stubborn, I'll laugh with them about it. And then I'll also break down what's actually happening there, how that behavior works and, and um, just help them understand what the dog is trying to communicate so that they can actually participate in that conversation with them. So I think that's one of the most magical things about working with puppy parents who are excited to learn is opening up that dialogue between between them and and their new furry friend. 
Right. Yeah. And even people, I mean, I've had clients that have had dogs for number of years and it's always refreshing. You know, those people who openly admit, I don't know it all. I've had, you know, I've had this X, Y, and Z braid, you know, for a while, but, um, or I've had multiple dogs of the same breed or, you know, I have had puppies before, but things change. And that is always a really nice thing to hear because, and also your individual relationship, right? So, you know, the relationship that you had with the the past dog is going to be different from the relationship that you have with, with the current dog or the second dog or the fifth dog. It's, it is an individual relationship that you have. And it, it is really nice when, when you meet those clients who are open to understanding that and also seek out training because they know that, as you said, raising a puppy, they like, you know, it takes a village, like it, it takes a village with a puppy. It's really, it can be really emotionally it really challenging. Does. Yep. It really can. And major props to all of those dog guardians who, you know, seek out more knowledge and then uh, are willing to go, oh, I'm learning way more than I thought I needed to know. <laughs> and and are are embracing that experience. I, I'm super grateful to to my clients and clients of other trainers who who really take the plunge and and uh, it's always a honor being part of that experience because I feel that way every day as a trainer as well. It's just yeah. <laughs> there's always something more to learn. And you learn more and you learn more. And the more, you know, they always say that, right? The more you learn, the less you know. And it couldn't be more true. Totally. totally. <laughs> so yeah, totally. Um, I learned just as much from my clients and their puppies as I believe they learn from me. So um, I'm always super grateful for those experiences. And I think socialization is one of the first steps. It's one of the obviously the thing we should be prioritizing when we have a puppy in that critical period, but um, it's when, when we can let go of the obsession, which I've been guilty of too, of bringing that puppy home and going, I am going to teach you how to do so many things. Can't wait to teach you how to sit down, roll over, go hiking with me, go camping with me, sit in, sit in the kayak with me. You're going to, you have big shoes to fill, buddy, right? And diving right into teaching dogs how to do stuff tends to be where we start because that is really reinforcing for us, right? To to build a behavior, which does help in, in building our, our friendship, our rapport with animal in our, our lives. Um, but we can become a little obsessed with with the performative aspect of asking our dogs to do stuff, right? And I think that if we can pull our focus just a little bit away from sit down, stay, go to your mat, you know, these these very specific skills and shift that focus into, how do I help you feel safe in this world? How do I help you as this little being learn that your behavior affects the environment and that you can turn off and on scary things, right? So helping them learn that they do have 
some control over the environment and their experiences. That is, that is going to go such a long way in helping this little, little being be confident in the world. And that is essential to having a strong relationship with the dog. And if you are, if you do have specific training goals, you need a confident, well-adjusted puppy in order to achieve those goals. You can't, um, you know, you can't, or I wouldn't recommend, I should say, trying to control your puppy's behavior simply through, or primarily through, exercises. Like, you know, trainers would say impulse control, like leave it or stay, those kinds of things. That's only one, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's all these layers underneath that help that puppy feel successful and comfortable in the world that we want to address first. So their emotional well-being, their safety in the world, their sense of safety, their sense of control over their environment. Because that is that is going to make it so that you just have a well-adjusted, calm, collected adult dog. I'm really happy that you mentioned that because I know personally and professionally, that is always my goal with dogs, especially puppies. But I think we do. And my, when I teach, so I have a, a, a puppy course and when I teach it, I teach specific things, but they're spread out over several weeks. And I think sometimes people do get really fixated on, you know, how well is my puppy performing, you know, my, and they want to tell me the puppy's been doing this and the puppy's been doing that and they're doing really well. Oh, they're not doing really well with this. And my response is always, it just, takes time because the things we're learning are not very complex things, but you know, how is the relationship with your dog? Is your dog able to feel safe? Are you their base of comfort? You know, are you meeting their needs? Are they getting what they desire from you and what they need from you? Um, And I love teaching sit. I teach once and I always say sit comes with a big caveat. It comes with a big caveat. Let me talk about sit for a minute. And then they have to they have to listen to me talk about sit for five minutes. And then every activity after that, you know, has that little sit if they would like to sit, but they can choose any position that, that they feel comfortable in. So just always reminding them that it isn't all about a sit. It's not all about, you know, how well is the dog performing, but more, what is the dog getting out of this activity? You know, are you having fun? it's not all about, you know, the cues and and everything. So I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up because that's, that for me is huge. That's, you know, that's primarily the reason why most people. Absolutely. Yeah. So that brings me to, you know, another thought, which is when we are teaching our dogs skills, what the purpose of teaching those skills should be for that performative aspect of look what, look what my dog can do. Right. Or look, look how much control I have over this other piece. Um, Ideally, the skills that we build in our dog's lives should work towards helping them feel safe in the world, giving them control over the environment, and also keeping them safe in the world. Um, So when it comes to socialization, some skills, some foundational skills that I will start with, with my puppies, 
include teaching them that things in the environment are actually a cue to turn and look at me for reinforcement or treat or toy. So a lot of people call this look at that or engage, disengage. So when we do have that fearful puppy who's scared of other dogs, it should be noted that socialization does not equal your dog meeting the person or making contact with the person or the dog that they're afraid of. That again, is not going to change their experience, their emotional experience of that thing. So instead of doing that, can you mark and treat your puppy for looking at that dog from a distance in which they're comfortable? So that, that's a training skill. And, and what that does is it teaches them that that dog, the presence of that stimulus in the environment, not only equals good things. So we're, we're getting some of that Pavlovian conditioning, that classical conditioning, but it also ends up teaching them what we would call the operant behavior of when that thing appears in the environment, that is a cue to turn your head and look at me. So even if they're still slightly concerned, they have something that they know they can do, which is turn to us for more guidance and they will get a treat for that. And we will advocate for them that if they're building in anxiety, they're becoming a little pressure cooker, we will help them learn how to move away from that situation. So making sure that with our puppies, they also have the skills to move away from something that scares them. So I also like to teach like a, a U-turn cue so that I'm teaching my dog an exit strategy because a lot of those scary experiences they might have might be on leash, which can make a puppy feel trapped. So treats for looking at the scary thing and turn, we're gonna go this way. We're also gonna reinforce you with the ability to move away from that thing. So another skill that I will uh, teach my puppy is the magic mat. So anytime you go to your mat and you sit on that mat, you lay down on that mat, you're going to get treats for that. And what that does is it, it builds a safe space for them, something that I can transport with me when we are going to new environments so that if they're overwhelmed by the environment in any way, they know this place. They know that when their paws hit that mat, good things happen. This is a safe place. It's been built in such a way that they can feel really comfortable being there. And I'm also going to make sure that I'm not utilizing that mat in such a way that they're going to feel trapped, right? So I'm not, I'm still not going to put that mat in the middle of a busy patio with my uh, stranger danger puppy, right? Because that is flooding. <laughs> I will maybe bring that mat to the edge of the patio at a distance and will reward them for choosing to be on that mat on their own, no rules attached. Um, so teaching eye contact based off of the environmental cue of stimulus entering the environment, dog enters environment, that means look at me. Um, you get treats for moving away, making the choice to move away and you get treats for finding your safe space and settling on that safe space. So those are three key skills that I really want my, my puppy to know. And I will start building right away because it aids in their comfort. It aids in their, um, in my, you know, in building those positive experiences in um, novel environments. Absolutely. And when we talked before about 
you know, you'd mentioned that a dog will sometimes, which is an often missed kind of sequence of events, is when they do that kind of barking and lunging. And, you know, when we have instilled or we've provided an, an alternative for that, which is, you know, turning away or the, the fact of retreating and then being rewarded for that retreating, often that becomes the default behavior. So some of those other behaviors they either kind of melt away because they're not being as practiced as, as often as, you know, previously, or the dog just defaults to that, you know, avoidance, that fight or flight, we go for flight because that's a really great thing that gets me treats, that gets me away from the scary thing, win-win. Absolutely. And in my work with reactive dogs, that's a huge part of our work is reinstalling the flight of the fight or flight sequence. And that can work wonders because if the dog learns, they're not going to be forced to interact or to remain in that stressful situation. They're not gonna to default to that instinctive reflex of I'm trapped, so the only other option is, is the fight option. And uh, it teaches the guardian a lot about what their dog how their dog actually feels about the situation. It helps to set realistic expectations, but ultimately it helps the dog again, feel recognize that they can operate on their environment to produce positive outcomes, right? So when trainers are talking about operant learning, right? That means that the dog is learning that this behavior produces this outcome. So we want our puppies again, to feel that they have control over the environment through their behavior. That is, that is operant learning. So it's again, not as simple as just pulling treats into our dog's face. We also wanna give them that, that control and that consent, which is a label. Consent is a label just like, you know, stubborn is a label. Um, but ultimately what, what that means to me is that they are opting into that experience, and I can uh, I can determine that based off of their body language in that moment. So they're opting in to greeting that other dog, and when they want to move away, I can either help them move away if they don't know how to remove themselves, or they can move themselves away, and so I will follow. Hi, listeners. Thank you for joining me for part one of Fear and Puppies with Bree Blakeman of Noble Wolf. I'll be dropping part two, which is episode 19, on the 15th of August. So stay tuned. That'll be coming soon. Are you looking for your next dog professional, but you're not sure that you have a trainer in your area that you can trust? Or maybe you're not sure where training can fit into your schedule. With my virtual dog training services, you don't need to worry about either of those issues. Virtual dog training is easy, convenient, and best of all, highly effective. You get to train your own dog and you get the information, the guidance, and the support that you need in order to do so. So if you've been looking for your next dog professional, I would love to work with you. To find what services I offer, go to rplusdogs.com.